I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Uh, welcome to Go and Do. Uh, this lesson is 2 Nephi 1 through 5, and this would be the lesson that covers the dates of February 3rd through February 9th, 2020. And uh, I'm Daniel. And I'm Feely, and we are joined here today with Ellie. Yep. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, a summary of what happens in these chapters. Uh, Lehi is kind of on his deathbed. Um, he's been through a lot <laughs> in the last few chapters of, of the Book of Mormon. And he's taking the opportunity to go basically, not necessarily one by one, but almost, um, telling his sons and grandchildren and daughter, granddaughters and whatever, everyone kind of a little bit about what he thinks they need to know going forward. Like his last words, which, you know, I think... He does an excellent job at this about not being, I don't know. I think if I did it, I would be like way too judgmental, you know, <laughs> or I'd be telling people, you know, you need to straighten out this and that. And he kind of does that. But he does it in a very loving way, which I thought was really cool. So for me, I, I think where this, this lesson is really strong in is in the sense of agency. Mm-hmm. And that uh, we are here on earth and given opposition to things. We're here in, in given choices. Um, one of the things that I, that it's a recurring theme in the Book of Mormon is um, keeping the commandments and you'll prosper in the land. Yeah. And one of the main messages he, he gives his kids at the end is continue this pattern of of keeping the commandments and prospering the land. How many how many times and how many ways does he say that in this chat in these chapters? Yeah. You know, there's so many times where he's like, "Stay the course" or "Do this or that, and you'll prosper." And then if you don't, you'll be held captive by your iniquities and stuff like that. I mean, he says it in a lot of different ways, but yeah, it's it's clear that that's the main message he wants to get across to everyone. Everyone, you know, keep the commandments. You know what they are. You've been raised right. You know what you're supposed to be doing, and you'll be fine. And if you don't, that's kind of your decision, right? Yeah. One of, one of the things I always think about is the message of the Book of Mormon is that it was written for us, for our day. So I always like to think, why would this be included? He's speaking to his children. Mormon is is gathering these messages and, and editing the, the plates, right? And he's finding that... He's very much trying to remind us constantly that our prosperity is very much tied with with um, keeping the commandments. But then I thought to myself, every time I think of that prosperity, you'll prosper in the land. I think you'll have a car, you'll have a house, you'll have money, <laughs> you'll have. But that's not it, you know. Later on, as 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 they're speaking about the gospel in 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 your seed will prosper or it will be cursed and i thought you know i have been thinking a lot about what does that really mean and i think towards the end especially in chapter five nephi is he kind of gives like this this order of things that they've they've done they we we've built houses we 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 farmed animals we you know we we've done all these things and it's and then 
And then he talks a little bit about idleness. For me, I find in my life that when I'm idle, I tend to get in trouble. <laughs> and when I'm just doing good things, um, good things happen. And, and especially good things as far as keeping the commandments, being engaged in church, not just sitting there and listening to the speaker, but actively thinking or participating. You know, this this quote at the beginning where Elder Todd Christopherson says, God intends that his children should act according to the moral moral agency he has given them. It is his plan and his will that we have the principal decision-making role in our own life's drama. And I think, what is, in our day, how is that message and the message of the Book of Mormon, that we have agency, that we're expected to act, not be acted upon, how is that message attacked? Well, I think life and our decisions are oftentimes treated very flippantly, where it's like, you know, YOLO, or just do you, or whatever, and it's like, well, yeah, there's some of that, but at the same time, it's like, you need to think about everything that happens to me is a direct result of my decisions. And if I make good decisions, I'll have good results. And if I make poor decisions, I'll have poor results. And I can't separate the consequences from the decision. As much as I want to say, you know, life happens, this happened to me. Yeah, there are bad things happen to good people all the time, right? Then the, then the decision becomes, what am I going to do with that? You know, how do I how do I take that? Am I going to take that as, well, then I guess I'm cursed, you know? No, I'm going to say, okay, well, this is the trial that's facing me. Now I get to exercise my agency and, and, and approach that in the best possible way. I think, I um, can't remember where exactly in second in these chapters that it is, but there's at least one or two times where Lehi says something about how um, it's our, we're put on this earth to act and not to be acted upon. Um, and thinking about agency in that way, I'm also looking at a few other spots where he, he repeatedly says to his sons, like, to he wants them to awake, he wants them to shake off their chains, arise from the dust, and get up and and act, basically. it's And I don't know, I think that's a really powerful metaphor of, like, you know, you can either go through life asleep, like, where you're just kind of going with the flow and just letting things happen to you and letting whatever cross or you can awake and take an active role in choosing not just like making good choices and choosing what you're going to do and and choosing to come to the lord if that makes sense yeah and really it's interesting you know the metaphor of these chains it wasn't like break out of them you know Mm -hmm. or anything like that it's just shake them off you put them on Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) you know yeah your decisions your actions Put the chains on you in the first place. Just let them go. It's mm-hmm. time to, to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Release all of that. You, you don't have to carry that with you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be asleep. You don't have to be covered in dust, which mm-hmm. is the ultimate idleness, right? Yeah. If yeah. you're not doing anything, you get covered in dust. You've been sitting there for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you think that uh, happiness and agency uh, correlate with each other? Because hmm. we... we we hear that very famous scripture, Adam fell, that man might be, and man are, that they may have joy. Mm-hmm. Adam used his agency so we can begin this journey, and we are given this journey so we can have joy. Um, there's a, there, I, I just think a lot about our current social climate and, and things like that, where it's very much... Joy is a fleeting thing that people tend to stumble across, or you're lucky enough to have it, and some aren't lucky enough to have it. And and I'm curious, you know, how how does agency and joy come about? I think a lot of it has to do with um, identifying what brings you joy and paying attention to little things, finding joy in little things. And not attaching your joy to, like, that first example you gave of what you thought progress was, you know? Not attaching joy to material things, because those are so temporary. Not attaching joy to money, because that comes and goes. Attaching it to real, 
long-lasting, durable things like family and uh, friendships and the gospel, right? The things that won't go away. Mm-hmm. They will never go away. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at, I think this is this is chapter 2 of Second Nephi, where Lehi is talking to Jacob specifically, and that's the chapter with the, the scripture that Adam fell at men in the bee. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the very first verse of chapter 2, Lehi says that uh, Jacob is his firstborn in the days of the tribulation in the wilderness, and thinking about, like, Jacob was born like, you know, a refugee out in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere. They went on a ship that they didn't know how long they were going to be on the ship or where they were going. He's had nothing his whole life. And his father is telling him on his deathbed to have joy and to find joy in Christ. And I don't know, comparing, I don't know what I can, just comparing that to like the four older brothers, uh, Nephi, Sam, Laman, and Lemuel, and how they went from having everything, right? They were wealthy in Jerusalem, and especially Laman and Lemuel, who were, or whichever one is oldest, who's going to inherit, like, everything, right? He's going to get all of this, and they leave it all behind, and what that must be like to, you know, have abandoned and lost everything, or to have never had anything, and then to still say, I can, my goal is to have joy in Christ. That's what what we should be striving for. You can kind of think of Lehi's experience raising the first four sons mm-hmm. was probably great. You know, they're in a stable environment. They're in a house. They have everything they need. Mm-hmm. And then the next two come, and it's like he's probably, like, watches them. I, I can imagine them on the ship, you know, and these kids are trying to play or do something fun. Mm-hmm. And... He's like, gosh, I wish I could provide something better than this craziness for you. Mm-hmm. And your older brother's constantly trying to kill everyone, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry that this is the environment you've been born into, that you, mm-hmm. you, you're struggling so much. But you, the whole point of this is to have joy, mm-hmm. right? Remember that that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because it reminds me a lot of the, is it Jacob 5, the allegory of the olive tree, mm-hmm. where he's continuously pruning and dunging the trees and taking care of them and then but he finds that those in the poorest spots tended to give the best fruit Mm -hmm. and those that had the true roots that should have known better didn't you know and um and it's interesting because i think that adversity and that's how this whole section begins with there's opposition in all things you'll you'll have trials you have agency and and Adversity is a is a place where we grow, and and there and I think it's a, like for me I like to think that there is nothing that through Jesus Christ He can't make a victory. There's no failure that with Him is fatal, you know. And I think it's a matter of attitude. It's a matter of perspective, and it's a matter of His help. That same failure without relying on the Lord or without the right perspective can be fatal. And that's, I think, the great example in contrast between Laman and Lemuel and like Nephi and Sam. Very similar experiences. Same parenting. I'm sure they were both wonderful, you know. (laughs) Gave them all these opportunities. But one chose, you know, to, in essence, to find out for themselves and the other one said, there's no way that can be true. Mm-hmm. And I'll dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And initially, maybe that didn't make a big difference. But over years and generations, it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the whole perspective that we exist to, on this earth to have joy is contrary to what um, the world will teach you, which is that it's dog-eat-dog out there, that you're just trying to survive maybe that you know you find little glimpses of joy like you were saying earlier but that i think that kind of all stems from the perception of the fall being this terrible event you know the fall of adam being this terrible event that happened that put us in this horrible state in this horrible world and now all we have to do is we have to try and find our way to happiness and it's like well it had to happen and that's 
part of the biggest thing that Lehi is teaching here mm-hmm. is he's going through and he's saying, you know what? Adam and Eve both recognized in order for the plan to proceed, this had to happen. Spiritual death had to come into the world. Physical death had to come into the world. Otherwise, they were just going to be in this state of limbo forever, not knowing happiness, not knowing joy, not knowing sadness or pain. You know, they would know nothing. They would just be walking around forever. And they recognized we have to do something, and and this transgression is what will bring those things into the world. And, um, of course, our Heavenly Father... um, gave his only begotten son to to help fix that right and that was the whole the whole reason why using the atonement is so important in our lives is because it helps us overcome both the physical and the spiritual death and he he does a really good job of explaining the the need for that and i think a lot of other perspectives kind of talk about that as like this horrible thing that we have to make up for you know adam did this horrible sin and now we all have to make up for it no that's not really how it is Mm -hmm. you know my brain is jumping back to um, what we were talking about earlier with the <clears throat> with agency, like being awake versus asleep, yeah. and now thinking about Adam and Eve partaking of the fruit, and you, they partake of the fruit so that their eyes may be open. So, huh. like, they partake of the fruit so they can wake up almost. And it's not that like being awake is not worse than being asleep, right? It's not a bad thing that they're now awake and they can see, and now that they can make choices, and now they're able to make those decisions and to actually kind of live their lives. Cause like you're asleep and you get to dream and you get refreshed and whatever, but you don't actually do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, you shouldn't be doing <laughs> <laughs> You got a problem if you're sleepwalking, you know, yeah. but if they're awake, then they're actually able to progress and to make those choices. Definitely. So. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because I think, also, like the creation, you know, we, we're taught that there was a spiritual creation and then there was a physical creation. And I always think of one as one is planning and the other one is carrying out the plan, right? Mm-hmm. And and I never thought about it that way in the sense of, of Adam and Eve, you know, that the Garden of Eden maybe was preparatory mm-hmm. like to then now go use your agency. Yeah. Now go act. And I think, um, you know, with uh, with these scriptures, it's there. There's just so much content, but I I just like to think of the the, the bigger pattern where I'm gonna t- teach you guys the plan of salvation. We're here. We have agency. We're to act, and then I'm gonna give you individual counsel. You know, and then Nephi kind of ends with, and we lived after the manner of happiness. But he also mentions we had wars, we had contentions, we had to abandon our brethren, we had to move away, you know. And and even he, he then kind of does that that part where he, he talks about his sin and, he, and how easy um, temptation tempts him and, and, oh, my soul, if I could be stronger and all these things. But then I know whom I have put my trust you know, and uh, sometimes I think life feels a little bit schizophrenic because, <laughs> but when I read Nephi's, you know, it's almost like his poem right there, he writes, I feel very much like that's a lot like how I tend to feel. There are times when we feel, man, I, I could do better. And then there are times when you're like, but I'm on the path and mm-hmm. I will trust that this path will get me to where I need to be. And I think it's very, it's a very good tactic, I think, for the world and for Satan to try to dismiss and discount these principles. Like, you don't really have agency. <laughs> or life isn't a place for you to have happiness. That's a that's a far-off dream. And I, I don't know, I just think it's, it's very powerful to remember that, that we're expected to find happiness, even in... And it's almost like finding peace. You know, the world isn't a peaceful place, but you can be at peace with yourself, at least, with your agency, with your decisions. And from there, it can grow into how you help others, how you influence your family, how you help your neighbors. But I think sometimes we're geared to think about the opposite side. We worry about problems that are so far out, things we can't control, and it becomes to affect us. And we we almost get... 
lulled away into giving our agency and worrying about the the Chinese pygmy goats in their <laughs> encroached environment, you know, and we get so up in arms about that. And you're like, well, what have you done for your neighbor today? You know, which one is the one that you have more control over? And and I think that's how we see in the world, especially with with media and people commenting and things they follow and things like that. We 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 give away our agency and our worry to things that are so distant, and we forget the little things. Did you make your bed? Did you say your prayer? You know, you know. And I think you can change the world, but you you first have to learn how to how to use your agency immediately where you're in your immediate surroundings, best way possible. Then you can start influencing and doing things, but I don't. Know. Yeah. yeah. Um. So let's pivot a little bit um, to there's a there's a prophecy um, given about Josephs, several Josephs, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Because who is it that's giving this prophecy? Well, this is Lehi repeating, I guess, repeating a prophecy that was given by Joseph of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um that apparently they have written down on the brass plates that they brought with them out of out of Jerusalem. And actually, so looking at this chapter, chapter 3, where he's giving this prophecy to his son Joseph by Joseph of Egypt about Joseph Smith, <laughs> like most of it, this so this is his specific advice to his son Joseph, but most of this chapter is a prophecy that his son Joseph will you know we'll never see anything about it's not really about him it's not really giving him much advice or anything like that so it, i just find this really interesting that this is what at the very least this is what nephi chose to record about what his father told his brother joseph yeah. like this this is the part of the prophecy that he decided to include or the pro- part of the the deathbed advice i guess yeah. and i'm wondering like why why Lehi would choose to give this advice to his son and not other advice like what he gave to Jacob about like, oh, this is the plan of salvation or to the older brothers, like be better people, you know, kind of thing. Like, why is this prophecy? I don't know. My only thought is that there's a there's a lot of significance in names. Mm-hmm. And he clearly knew about Joseph in Egypt and probably had heard of him at least, even though they didn't have access to the brass plates a lot mm-hmm. you know, before this. But he he named his son Joseph, and maybe he named him after this, Egyptian Joseph, right? Mm-hmm. And he's saying, this Joseph had this prophecy about a future Joseph by your same name, right? Who will be the son of another Joseph, right? Mm-hmm. He even says, and I think maybe he's trying to say, look, um, these were all men that had a, a, an immense amount of spirituality or will have an immense amount of spirituality. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of person I want you to be, mm-hmm. right? Without yeah. telling him directly, this, you know, you can be like this. He's saying, this person did this and mm-hmm. this person will do this. And that leaves you in the middle to bridge it. Mm-hmm. You know? I also think it's also letting Nephi and his children know that I... Um, that their life is going to be very meaningful and their children and their ancestors are going to be just as meaningful as when we look back at Joseph. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a future Joseph that's going to help bring your story out Mm -hmm. as well. Because there's there's in 2 Nephi chapter 4, verse 14, where it says, uh, For I, Nephi, 15, uh, 2 Nephi chapter 4, verse 15, and he says, And upon these... I write the things of my soul, and my soul, and many of the scriptures which are engraven upon the plates of brass. For my soul delighteth in these scriptures, and my heart pondereth them. And I write them for the learning and the profit of my children. And the blessing that Nephi gives them is, even though your your children will fall away, they will not be forgotten of the Lord. And in, in a future day, these things will come as if crying from the dust. And will help bring your children back. Not just them, but anyone, everyone. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting because the way the Lord deals with people is very individual and specific to them. But we see that throughout all scriptures, all people, the Lord is open to accept anyone. Anyone who's willing to keep the commandments becomes the people of the Lord, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, you know, I, I kind of like that because I, you know, the, the Joseph thing, you know, it, it is kind of tricky because you have, you know, ancient Joseph, Joseph of <laughs> Nephi, and then Joseph Smith. And it's it's funny because, you know, he must have a lot of foresight to be able to, to mm-hmm. link those things together. Yeah. Well, I think also, so at the end of that, at the end of chapter three, when he actually does kind of start to talk specifically to Joseph about himself, he says, um, verse 25, I think it's the last verse, he says that Joseph is blessed, and he says, Thou art little, so hearken to the, bro- the voice of Nephi, your brother. And I wonder if it's kind of a, you know, giving him something that he can, something that's written down that he can look at later in life, because he's, I don't know how old he is at this point, but he's maybe too young to be able to remember all of these bigger questions and bigger thoughts that his dad is giving him. And so instead he's giving him like, look to the scriptures and look to these specific scriptures for, and look to these people in the scriptures in the for end. a model of who to how to be. Yeah. And yeah. just, just follow Nephi. <laughs> and do what Nephi just says. Do whatever Nephi yeah. does and says and you'll be good. You yeah. Know? Like. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever think that when Nephi passed away, it might've been very similar to when, when Joseph Smith passed away and so what do we do because it kind of falls on Jacob's shoulder well that's something that's an interesting thing that I I was reading a a book about the Book of Mormon basically the other day Um, and they point out several things about this section of the book but basically one of them being that this is so Nephi was an educated person in Jerusalem right he knows all about the learning of the Jews he knows all about writing and reading and all this stuff and all of the people who came with him, who came after him, like Jacob and Joseph and his children, they don't know and they never got that education, right? And theoretically, possibly the only book that they have with them is the brass plates. So they're not going to be able to get this incredible education that he got. They're not going to get all of these, the learning of the Jews and be able to learn all these scriptures and things. And so it's interesting that they point out, it's interesting that he passes on the brass plates and the scriptures to his brother instead of to his children and kind of wondering why he would do that. And maybe considering, you know, maybe his kids didn't really appreciate the scriptures in the way that he felt they should, but his brother did because he kind of, maybe he had more of that experience with their father or something like that. And um, that scripture you referenced earlier, I think it's chapter four, verse 15, where he says, I write, I where is it? My soul delighteth in the scriptures. I think he like, he literally, he means like he loves these scriptures and he loves these things that he learned and he was taught from his home. And maybe, you know, nobody else really does, you know, he's like the last one. And it, and then he immediately goes into his, his psalm and it follows a very traditional like psalm structure that you would read also in the book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, he's like using these things that he had learned Back, way back when he was a kid in Jerusalem or whatever and it's kind of part of his his farewell almost and just I don't know thinking about the way that he he's he he feels like he's at the end of a dying tradition at least in his part of the world you know yeah so well it's like um anytime that there were really important or impactful leaders like you, you said you mentioned Joseph Smith um, even when when Christ left the earth, mm-hmm. he passed away. There was like this period of like, okay, what are we doing now? But what are we supposed to do now? And the apostles kind of froze for a little bit until they were basically told, okay, now you need to go out and do what I showed you. You know, mm-hmm. like now it's your turn. Mm-hmm. And there, I think, with the passing of Lehi, he's kind of he's passing the torch to Nephi, saying, hey, everybody. If you follow Nephi, you'll be good. He'll be a good leader. And, of course, his older brothers take exception to that. Mm-hmm. Um, at least they had the decency to wait until their father had passed away <laughs> before trying to kill him, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it caused a huge division. Mm-hmm. And it really did start 
down a path that the rest of the Book of Mormon is this dichotomy of good and evil, and it switches back and forth from side to side. Sometimes mm-hmm. the Lamanites are bad, and sometimes the Nephites are bad, and it really depends, but it brings it back to there must be opposition in all things. Imagine if everyone after Lehi's deathbed speech had been like, okay, then we'll just all be good. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I think opposition in all things also means we as intelligences that have agency, that act for ourselves, the only way to learn is oftentimes by trial and error or line upon line. Like we cannot grasp perfect concepts or large concepts. So we learn a little bit. How do you how do you treat others? How do you you know it's just little by little. I like when you were uh, Ellie, when you were mentioning their learning mm-hmm. and how they, they may have missed the scripture that came to me was in, in Second Nephi, mm-hmm. I mean Ether chapter mm-hmm. twelve, verse twenty three, where where here um, He's saying, the Lord and the Gentiles will mock at these things because of our weakness in writing. Mm-hmm. For the Lord, thou hast not made us mighty in word by faith, but thou hast not thou hast made us mighty in word by faith, but thou hast not made us mighty in writing. For thou hast made all these people that thou could speak much because of the Holy Ghost. And so he goes to speak about how he's 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 troubled because of their awkwardness in writing mm-hmm. and, and how that will be taken. And you have not made us mighty in writing and things. And it's interesting that Moroni, I, I always imagine him just like curating all of these plates mm-hmm. and scrolls and things and saying, you know, we began this with Nephi saying, I write these things from my own hand mm-hmm. to then... Many generations later, another people, in this case, having written things and being concerned because I think they all understood you have to record this because it will come forth and it will help people at the last days. Mm-hmm. And and I and I, it's fascinating that for this for this book to be in our hands, for us to have these discussions, for us to have the Book of Mormon, we are fulfilling the promise that the Lord has made to these prophets mm-hmm. years and years and years ago and the promises that they won't be forgotten, that their trials, that their learnings will be passed on. And then it's also our promise that we can then take what they have mentioned and apply it in our day and find peace and live after the manner of happiness, you know, mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know? And I just, I don't know, I just really like that. Yeah. I don't think I'd really thought of this until you said it just now, but the like thinking of Mormon or Mormon looking back at all these records and looking at and thinking that they show a record of weakness in writing and just considering that he has like fifteen hundred years worth of records <laughs> to look back on and compile and like how much has our English language changed in the past 1,500 years, right? I can't read stuff from, I can barely read Shakespeare, right? And that's only a few hundred years old. And so just imagining like how difficult that must be to see like, oh, how our language has changed and how how many different kinds of records we have and how much we're going through. And then also looking at um, just the way, I mean, almost the way that their tradition seems to change over time because Nephi has this, is a prolific writer, right? He has two whole big books in the Book of Mormon. And he also has the whole, you know, 116 pages that were lost, which were, well, not all of that. Some of that's Book of Lehi, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's got a lot of other writings, right? And then the immediate book after him is Jacob, which is not tiny, but fairly short. And then after that is... Jerem, not Jerem. Well, all these really tiny some... books, and yeah, and they're and they're so short. And just imagining like going from this huge prolific writer with all of this tradition behind it to then uh, being Mormon, looking at these records, going back and seeing, man, we missed so much. You know, we missed. You know, these yeah. descendants of Nephi and of Jacob barely wrote anything, and I, how much did we miss from those years? 
of the Lord's teachings that we could have had in this book. Well, it's it's also even in, in third Nephi when the Savior comes and mm-hmm. he says, "Hey, where are the words of of Samuel the Lamanite?" Mm-hmm. And and they're like, "Oh, well, we we heard about them. They were nice." And he commands them, "These shall be written." Mm-hmm. And and it's it's really interesting how how important that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many authors throughout the Book of Mormon who are making different choices about what they're including and what they're leaving out, right? So how many other, you know, Samuel the Lamanites were there with all these really important and valuable prophecies that we just don't have because they didn't write them down? Well, and there's several of those smaller books where the prophet, is, you know, on night is writing in there and mm-hmm. he's like, I didn't do such a great mm-hmm. job with this. Um, and I'm not incredibly valiant Mm -hmm. in all of this, but here's my two cents, you know, because I promised my dad I figured (laughs) out something. Here's, you know, Uh there's a section where one guy says, yeah, and I know he did this on the day, uh, like he barely just wrote this because he gave it to me on the day he wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. I like how we are sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I didn't bring a lesson. I didn't prepare a lesson for Elder Scorpion, but I got a video, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like it's not that far off. Uh-huh. You know, just the the methods are mm-hmm. different. But like, what a honestly, like, what a miracle that is. Kind of going back to that what we were talking about before with Ether Twelve, with that section where he's saying we're weak in writing, but the Lord will make weak things strong unto us. Like, what a blessing it is that we have this book, and even with all these people who are writing, like I don't know, I'm writing down that I had it, and then passing it on. Even with all these writers, like we still have this is such a rich and valuable text and there's so much we can learn with it, from it and so many valuable and interesting ways that we can approach it and like think about the words from like just you know Sunday school version to thinking about it from like a rhetoric perspective or looking at like poetry and things like that within the Book of Mormon and it's like there's so much here it's such an incredible book even with that weakness in writing even with that weakness in writing sometimes you're looking for an answer Mm -hmm. to a prayer and you open up and start reading and you're like holy cow there Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. i like i like the (laughs) like one of the characteristics that i think the scriptures really impacts me about jesus christ is his ability to develop people Mm -hmm. and to help people grow and i almost imagine as as if he takes people, like we're choosing football teams and he's a captain. Mm-hmm. And, and you get first dibs and you pick all the all-stars. And he just says, do you want to play football? And, and you're, you're shy. You're like, well, I've never played football. But do you want to? Yeah. Okay, I'll teach you. And he makes you a star. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, that's what happened with Alma. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what happened to, to um, Paul. Yeah. You know, that's what happens to so many people. They they don't know they have it in them. Even Moses, who was doubting himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not Even Joseph speaker. Smith, you know, yeah. never really had an education. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a farmer. He's out there listening to people talk about religions and things. And mm-hmm. he goes to them and says, will you sh- tell me what's the truth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, all of these things. And. And isn't that the greatest example for us? How many times do we feel little mm-hmm. or small or not very impactful? But with the Savior, we can have immense impact. We can change completely. We can, you know, and, and all he requires is a willing mind and a willing heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the contrite spirit, right, <clears throat> is, is really uh, a sincere heart that... Why are you doing this? Why do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. If you're doing it for the right reasons, um, he'll 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 turn you into that all star, right? Mm-hmm. If you're doing it for notoriety, if you're doing it to become an influencer, right? <laughs> then he's gonna be like, no, that's not really what I want to have done. You know, I I want this message to be spread with a sincere heart and a contrite spirit. Mm-hmm. I think. Thinking about Joseph Smith as well, specifically, kind of going back to what we started this conversation with, where with the prophecy about Joseph Smith, like this is something that I wanted to talk about that I was thought I thought about a lot of times when I read this chapter is like, imagine being Joseph Smith, dictating the Book of Mormon and (laughs) getting to this part and see and reading, I think in chapter three, verse 
15, what is it? He shall be like unto me for the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord, shall bring my people unto salvation. Like, what? Like, all you told me to do was translate the Book of Mormon. And I've done that because this is this this was one of the last sections that they translated. And, like, that's all you've been told so far, really? That and You've said the Lord has said he is a great work for you, but, like, you know, maybe you assume it's just translating the Book of Mormon and there you go and I'm done. But, like, can you imagine reading this section and, like, what's going to happen next, you know, and, I, and knowing you have this great destiny in front of you, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can't help but think that there were these curtain-moving moments, mm-hmm. you know, when they're translating, where Joseph kind of moved the curtain and was like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? <laughs> you know, read that back to me, you know? And then they're like, yeah, this is what it says. Like, what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Like, I, I, I would think, you know, it, it's not easy to be Joseph. <laughs> and, you know, in the New Saints volume, mm-hmm. I, I got so much more insight into really how frail, well, like how human he was. Mm-hmm. How he had doubts, he had things, you know. And imagine he's translating and... It's going good, and then it's getting rocky, and then he reads that, and mm-hmm. then he's like, okay, you know, you, you never know, you know, and it's um, it's really a blessing and, and, and a huge miracle that we as imperfect beings uh, can help, can be part of this, can, can do things, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, it's like Doctrine and Covenants Section 4, you know, the, the missionary, uh, what do we call that? I don't know, but we always recite it. Yeah. You know, the field is white already yeah. to harvest. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, you know, what is required is you're just your disposition. Your willingness. Yeah. Are you are you and it's the same requirement all of these men have had. You know, all these wonderful people we look up to. It's are you are you willing to do if you receive the answer, are you willing to act upon it? And speaking of acting upon it, um, the reason we named this podcast Go and Do was so that we could have an awesome discussion, but then somehow implement what we learned, right? Um, so what's the go and do aspect of this lesson? What is it that you that we'll be implementing? How do we put this awesome stuff into action? I think it's be more aware of what you're doing with your agency. Be more aware of the decisions that you're making well, I'll say it. I will be more aware of the decisions that I am making mm-hmm. that put chains on me, right? That cause me to to be lazy or idle. Um, I'll be more aware of the things that that I decide that make me an instrument in his hands, right? What can I do on a daily basis? What can I do on, on, on a weekly basis at church on Sunday or on a Tuesday afternoon, right? It will make me more of an instrument. I think that's what I got from it that I will try and go and do. I will get out there and try to be more aware of the decisions and the consequences of those decisions. I, 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 I really like to, for me, I like to keep perspective. There's something about being told what, what the journey is going to be like that I really appreciate. For example, that sin and mistakes in opposition is part of this experience. Sometimes I think we try to act as if, what? Life isn't perfect now, you know? <laughs> like, and I, I just, knowing that it's part of the experience, I think for me, it just gives me comfort that the Savior knows, He really knows who I am and where I am. And I may just be a three, right? And he's working on making me a four, you know? And that's a very beautiful thing. And sometimes we get carried away saying, oh, I'm a three, but uh, Joseph Smith was a 12, you know? And, you know they're perfect, you know? And, and that's not the point of this. It's he will take anyone wherever they're at and help them just be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you can say that about Nephi as well. Like it's, I think we, we tend to kind of idolize Nephi as well because we're like, oh wow, his brothers were always complaining and he never did. And like, sure, Nephi's the one writing this and he's 
definitely going to write about all the stuff, the mistakes that he made, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, if you notice, he – so it, th- in this these chapters, he writes down the advice that his dad gave all of his brothers, but he doesn't say what his dad told him to do, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't – he leaves out his dad's last blessing for him. And instead, he puts in this psalm of his that says, you know – I have made so many mistakes, but I, and you know, but he doesn't say what they are, but he gives us kind of a map, right? With this Psalm of like, I have made mistakes. I will continue to make mistakes, but you know what? I'm going to rejoice anyway. I'm going to rejoice in God. I'm going to rely on him because if I depend on my weak self, then I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do. And I think that's just a really interesting, um, thing to think about is that like, even especially probably Nephi makes mistakes. And it doesn't necessarily, he doesn't wallow in them though, and you don't need to use them to like, um, beat ourselves up. Yeah, you don't need to beat yourself up. I mean, he kind of beats himself up a little bit at the beginning <laughs> of that, that section, but they, they're they valuable in teaching you, and they're valuable in the value comes in learning that you have to rely on the Lord. Because if you don't have those weaknesses and you don't recognize those mistakes, then you never turn, you never turn to God, right? If you, and I think that that's a, well, that's a valuable thing. And he also, you kind of get the feeling that maybe <clears throat> Lehi's advice to him was, look, Nephi, you're going to be the guy now, mm-hmm. right? You're going to be the prophet now. All these little, you know, like those little things you do from time to time that are, you got to You got to be better. You got to step up. Because yeah. you're going to be the one receiving revelation for the known world. What we know now is our world, mm-hmm. right? And... And then he's, I don't know, I've been in spots where I feel a little bit overwhelmed by a position I've been put in, you know, and I'm like, okay, I got to be better. Mm-hmm. I can't be like this anymore. You know, I got I to gotta, I gotta really step up. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what he's doing in that mm-hmm. psalm is he's saying, I'm so much like this sometimes and I, mm-hmm. I can be better and I'll rely on the Lord to help me. And mm-hmm. So you kind of get a little mm-hmm. whisper of maybe what I told him. Yeah. You think about how President Bittner, or Elder Bittner, sorry. Maybe I'm forecasting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Elder Bednar, he talks about how, um, you know, the the Holy Ghost will show you things as they really are. And that a very powerful thing you can do is ask Heavenly Father to show you what things you lack, mm-hmm. what lack I yet, mm-hmm. you know, what do I need to work on. Mm-hmm. But, and he said, if you're very sincere in your of the disposition to actually do something about it mm-hmm. that he will and sometimes that's a very intimate emotional thing but like but like Nephi's song you're left with optimism not mm-hmm. not depression not I'm just the worst right I think Heavenly Father you know can show us where we need to improve without destroying our ego, right? Mm-hmm. Like a loving parent would with a child. You know he's working on math. So you're not going to come down on him on fractions, right? <laughs> like he's just learning addition. You're not going to introduce geometry or algebra, right? Mm-hmm. And just we're going to work on additions. Here in addition, this is what you can do better. Mm-hmm. And I believe you can be that rocket science. But if we're going to get the rocket scientist, but if we're going to get there, we got to fix this little thing. And don't worry about the next thing. We just do this one. And I think as it's interesting how the Lord gives us commandments and laws, but we're totally free. We're totally free. They're not laws in the way that we think of a, of a king. And I decree this thing, and if you don't do it, I'll chop off your head. You know, He gives us laws and all the freedom. Because that's part of the learning for us to come back and say, you know, that didn't feel too good. Can you help me <laughs> figure out how to do this right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we can all do better in that, you know. <laughs> I think, like we were saying, like, I think it's easy to get into cycles of that, of that self-improvement, if that makes sense, where, like, you know, 
you really you notice the holes you notice like oh i'm not very good at math or whatever like you're saying or like you've given it you've been given a new responsibility and you're like oh i gotta be better and then you're better for a while and better for a while and better for a while and then you kind of slow down and you forget and you start slipping and all this stuff and then you have something else that happens you're like oh yeah i gotta be better i gotta be better and then you get back in, into these cycles of like getting better and worse and better and worse and um i think that I think, well, this is one of, this Nephi's psalm, I think, is one of those, a demonstration of that cycle almost, because he's writing this towards the end of his life, looking back on all, possibly, you know, all the mistakes that he's made, all the things that have happened, you know, having left his home, left across the ocean, lost his dad, lost his brothers, and like that whole half of the family, and like, even at his old age, he's still saying, I'm, I made mistakes and I need to be better. And I'm sure that he's still, and even though he's the prophet and he's the king, I guess, you know, he's still in this cycle of, I need to be better. I'm making mistakes. I need to be better. And I think that like you were saying, that's, you know, God shows us our mistakes and puts us kind of on the cycle of getting better, not to make us feel bad when we relapse and we go back to the first part of the cycle, but to help us to get better. And hopefully, even though it is kind of a cycle, we're still hopefully moving forward at the same time. Well, it's less of a do better dummy, Mm -hmm. more of like you're better than this. Yeah, exactly. You're better than the way you're acting. You're better than the way you've been. Mm -hmm. And you know that, Mm -hmm. so fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Tie that to forgiveness. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. we're told forgive, what, 70 times 70, Mm -hmm. which ultimately means forgive always, Mm -hmm. forever. And and what the person was looking for, they were looking for a number. Mm -hmm. Is it seven? Is it two? I think three I could probably do. <laughs> and, um, but he's saying, you're thinking about it totally wrong. Forgive always. And I think repent is the same thing. Repent is improve. And improve always. And improve always doesn't always mean you are just the worst. You have to go do a lot of sins. You have to be the worst sinner mm-hmm. to totally be repenting always. You know? <laughs> Like, it's not like that. It's yeah, there's always something that you can do better. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. it doesn't make you a bad person because you make mistakes. Like, How do you help somebody that... Uh, it's a very common feeling where people feel overwhelmed by the gospel or like this desire, mm-hmm. this, this burden of being perfect or, mm-hmm. or being celestial or being a saint or a disciple, you know? How do you, how do you, maybe you felt that way, but how do you kind of dismantle that? I, I'm still trying to figure that out yeah. for myself. Like if I, if I make a, every time I go to general, or I listen to general conference, I kind of like the whole time I'm kind of making a mental list of like, okay, I need to be doing this and this and this and this and this. And if I make a list of everything that I'm supposed to be doing every day, I'm like, I'm going to fall over. I can't handle this. And so I think it's really that, you know, one step at a time kind of thing. Like, you know, part of the reason that people fail at when they make goals, especially like New Year's resolutions, um, you know, it's because they overwhelm themselves with like, oh, I want to lose weight. I want to do this and this and this and this and this, all these things. And you can't make all of these changes all at once. And it's really about being incremental in your changes and saying, okay, I'm going to start small. I'm going to take small steps. I'm going to start with this one thing. And once I've got that one thing down, I'm going to move on to the next thing. And I think that that's also true of the gospel, right? I think that, you know, instead of saying like tomorrow, I'm going to start reading the half hour of scriptures and I'm going to pray like five times a day and I'm going to do, Can't yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go volunteer and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to play with my kids and I'm going to do all these things all tomorrow. That's when it becomes a overwhelming but if you start with saying i'm going to say my prayers in the morning i'm going to say them at night and you know start with that until that's down i think that that's how you make that more doable and more accessible well isn't it great that sacrament meeting was built in once a week mm-hmm. that's your chance that's, reset. that's mm-hmm. your check yeah you know? okay where am i where well, do also, I stand? Mm-hmm. there's a dangerous pitfall of comparison mm-hmm. of of I would compare, you know, I'm not like Nephi or, or, or this or, or, you know, and you can always find someone, but it's Or the false. other way, mm-hmm. or the other way saying, well, at least I'm not that guy. Yeah. You know, right? <laughs> Which is just as bad, if not worse, mm-hmm. you know, right. to be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's really interesting because 
because that's that's a really easy way to log away your agency. I'm gonna be hard on myself, or I'm gonna kind of give up because I wasn't born with those talents, or so and so's family is awesome, and so and so the all, all the kids married in the temple, and their general authorities, and the angels deliver their mail. You know all these. Things. And then, you know we get in these in these very weird comparison things where it's like we have been given scriptures. Every individual in those scriptures have had trials, mm-hmm. have had reasons to give up, and they turned to the Lord and they overcame them. Mm-hmm. And what is the message to us is whatever you're dealing with, if you turn, if you if you do it correctly, you can overcome it. That weakness can become a strength. Ellie, do you have anything else? I have a couple thoughts. Just one very short one that's not really, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I wanted to ask, I guess. So at the, at the end of this section, and at the end of chapter 5, when they say um, that we lived after the manner of happiness, mm. that phrase feels really sad to me. Like, <laughs> we lived as if we were happy, you know? Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know why, I like, I don't know why it's hitting me that way, but it is. And I'm wondering if there's, I don't know, something... Deeper, if that's just the way that they have, like when Joseph Smith was translating it, he happened to write it's it in that on. phrasing instead of, and we were happy, he said, we left for the man of happiness. But I wonder if there's something like, I don't know, interesting. Because earlier in the chapter, when he's talking about making, he says uh, in verse 14, I took, I Nephi did take the sword of Laban, and after the manner of it did make many swords. So I made swords like the sword of Laban, even though they weren't the sword of Laban, but they basically were. So it's like we like, lived like we were happy. Yeah, and I don't know if that's I don't know if that's what is think, meant, but it's it, that's how it feels to well, me, you know. I, I think about Moroni in the, in the book of Moroni, mm-hmm. where he says, "In to have hope, charity, and love," mm-hmm. and he says something along the lines of, "You have prepared a mansion for those that they may have a more excellent hope." Mm-hmm. And I get that similar feeling, like mm-hmm. he's just. This is a rough life. Yeah. And I, but you, you told us there's a place where we can even hope that things are better, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. My, my initial thought is you have, like, if I were in his shoes, I have to think all these ordeals to come to the promised land. Mm-hmm. And then as we're wrapping things up with my parents in their deathbed, they kind of tell us, you guys are going to fight forever and your ancestors mm-hmm. are going to fall away and be cursed. Mm-hmm. Like he knows <laughs> he knows that this sort of peace that they have is temporary. And even yeah. the, it's not even peace because he says that they have wars among them. Mm-hmm. And so... And so it's like, I, I don't know, I think it'd be difficult to be living the prophecy. Being like, mm-hmm. hey, we are happy, but we're kind of waiting for the sky to fall at any second. Because it was a little bit like that with the saints. Right away, they thought, oh, the second coming is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, we're going to Zion. And, you know, and and even, you know, and now we're more like, ah, it's probably going to be a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they thought it was, it was like around the corner, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think of it as after the manner of happiness, more like after the method of happiness. Mm-hmm. Like, we lived in a manner which would bring us happiness. Mm-hmm. So kind of like... We know we know all of this bad stuff is going to happen eventually, mm-hmm. but we did our best happy. to build our environment. Yeah, because they had contentions and wars. Mm-hmm. But we did our best to build our environment and build our lives in such a way that would bring us happiness, mm-hmm. in a manner that would bring us happiness. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the pioneers, they're going through a terrible trek, and yet they can, at night, they would circle the wagons, they could dance. Because you know, mm-hmm. it's like a little joy. we may mm-hmm. not be quite there yet, mm-hmm. but we're gonna live in a way that will bring us something of happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we we we're not we're trying our best to live that joy that we know is our purpose here on earth, yeah. and you know we have these struggles and these wars, but we're we're doing our best. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, thanks. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks that for having really me. Awesome. Yeah. Um, We really appreciate your insights. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts, 
than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.